Hi, you're listening to Sundays at Sherman Bible. We're really glad you chose to join us today. The following message is from our pastor, Dennis Henderson. Well, we've been in margins, so I want to begin today with a question. I wonder how many of you don't raise your hand, have a friend, someone you know, that has either wrecked or pretty come close to wrecking their life because of the fact they have gone over the line in a moral margin. Embezzlement, possibly. Uh, sexual sins. Adultery. Premarital sin of sex. An unwanted child. An abortion. Whatever it might have been, some of you probably know that. Some of you are saying, say, Dennis, hey, I could raise, that's me. Been there. Some of you say, I'm there right now. In fact, probably all could raise our hand to some degree, couldn't we? We've all crossed a moral line that has scarred our lives, that's done damage to it, impacted our families, our heart before God, and hasn't been for the grace of God. Some of us today could have had a total train wreck and disaster, but God, by his grace, protected us from that as we went across the moral line that God never planned for us to go across. Well, today we're going to talk about moral margins. We're going to talk about the fact that it's out there, we face it, we've got to deal with it every day. You might expect in 40 years of doing church stuff as a pastor, I've heard a lot of stories. I've never had anyone come into my office and say, Dennis, can I share with you my five-year goals and say something like this? I'm really looking forward in the next five years to have a good affair. You know, I, I'm really planning next five years to get STDs. You know, I, I'm hoping that in the next five years, uh, you know, I, I'll have an abortion. Hoping in the next five years, you know, I can embezzle enough money to, to get out of town on. I've never had people come and tell me that about their five-year plans. But almost every one of them has come in with heartache and scars and brokenness have said this. I never thought I'd ever do something like that. Never thought I'd get there. Because most of us don't. Most of us don't plan to hurt our families, lose our jobs, do stupid. But it happens. And it comes back to margins, doesn't it? You see, we've been talking about margins because our society tells us, hey, don't worry about the limits, you know? And they stretch margins to the point that it impacts our time, impacts our relationship with God. Last week impacts relationship with others, family. And it takes us to the fact that, you know, don't worry. It's your life. Do what you want. And especially in the area of morals. They say just do whatever you want. There's, in fact, our society, our culture says, you know what? There are no absolutes. You determine what the morals are for your life, what pleases you. That's taught in universities. It's taught on our television programs. It's around us all the time. That's what the culture teaches. But the truth is, there is a limit. There is a limit in all of our lives when it comes to morality. Whether we want to have someone tell us that limit or not, it's there. And there are consequences when we cross that line. Always. Sooner or later. Our government tells us what's right and wrong. We don't like that, probably, many of us. We don't think it's their job, but they do. 
They think this, we think this is good for you and this is bad. And you know all the illustrations. It could be the fact that the government decided we're going to pull tomatoes off of the shelf back in June of 2008. Over 30 states are not going to have tomatoes. And everybody's screaming, what about my salsa? What about my salsa? And it doesn't happen because they, they found a trace of salmonella in, 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 a, in some tomatoes and felt it was their job to tell us this is bad for you. They tell you, you know, it's bad for you not to have a seatbelt, so we make a law to tell you, here's the limit, you've got to wear a seatbelt. They think you don't have enough sense to do something with your kids, so they make all kinds of law. They make you buy a $200 car seat, throw in the back, put a little junior back there. Because the government decides that they will tell you what's right or wrong. Whether you like that or not, I don't know. I'm not going to get off on that. But it's true. They set a moral limit because basically every decision that you make and I make in, my li- in our lives daily has a moral connection to it. Now, someone's going to impose those limits on our lives. You can do it, what we call that self-imposed limits of our morality. And the self-imposed margins of our life come about like this. We look at life. We look what's going around. We say, you know what? This will be the limit of my life because I'm going to decide this as far as I go. Because if I go any further than that, I, I could hurt myself. I could hurt my family. So I'll go up to that line no further. And so you decide what that's going to be. We can do it that way. Uh, we can do it, you know, from there we can look around. We can say, well, you know what? I, I will look at the culture. And I'll let the, Bi- and the Bible as another one, or legal. So let me show you these really quick. The Bible. I'll let the Bible impose the limits on my life. Thinking what? Whoa, God's smarter than I am. He's already given us a set of a code of conduct. So it would be smart that if God, being the all-knowing God who truly loves me, has set some, has set some boundaries and some limits in my life, it would be wise for me to impose biblical codes upon my life. You can choose that way for your margins. You can use the culture, you know, the mores of what's going around, you know, what's happening about you. Because every culture has its different set of morals, don't they? Texas is a little different than California. You agree? And so in Texas, you know, this is what's accepted in the culture. So that'll be my boundaries, you know. Or you can do the legal deal, and we've already, you know, the government does. Government says, hey, it is wrong. It's beyond the limit for a 25-year-old to have sex with a 12-year-old, and, that's, and they've decided that. And you say, well, I'll follow the government. So all, there's a lot of places. As a Christ follower, I strongly believe in my heart after a lot of bumps in my life, and like many of you, I think it's best to follow the biblical standards for my life because God does know as we said to trust him with all of our hearts with all of our soul you know all of our mind lean not to understanding but in every way acknowledge his standard and then he will make our path straight and direct so as a Christ follower we need to do that now throughout the Bible many stories of people who pressed and went beyond the limits aren't they David, man after God's own heart. Remember David? Bathsheba, way over the limit. Let his heart take him beyond that limit. As a result of that, not only did that, when things went further south, he had her husband killed. His son, Solomon, known to be at that time the wisest man on earth of all of his time. And God gave him the privilege to 
build a temple for God, the first temple. And at the dedication of that temple, he stood outside the temple. He looked at all the people. And then before God, he says, you know, he says before God, this is it. He says, let us fully devote our hearts to the Lord. Let us always fully have devoted hearts to God. He says that, makes the statement. You flip a few chapters, and the next thing you know, his heart's chasing after foreign wives. He takes them into his life, and the next thing you know, he's building altars and monuments for their foreign gods. Solomon, how in the world did you move from here, standing at the temple, fully devoted our hearts to God, to over here, you're chasing foreign women, and you're now building other monuments to foreign God. How did that happen to the wisest man on earth? Would you not think if it could happen to him, it might happen to us? Anybody? Do you think? I would think. Because some of us are sitting here testimony of that, aren't we? At one point in our life, we fully loved Jesus, and we want to do everything we can for him, and we're going to be pure and moral, and we're going to follow his deal. And five years later, we're over here saying, how in the world did I get here? How did this happen? We say, how did it happen? Well, it happened step by step. We've given you a definition for margins, the space between my current activities and my limits. Let's look at the one that's a moral margin. And let's play that out for the week. It's putting a limit, distance, key word, between me and what? What's it say? Say it again. Not sin, but what? Temptation. Temptation. That's the, that's the, you know, that's where we get messed up. We see the sin, I'll never do that, but we forget preceding that sin is what? Temptation. And we've got to have margin, not between me and the sin, but between me and the what? Temptation. Because the temptation is what really gets us there, doesn't it? With that said, look at James. You got your finger there? James chapter 1, verse 13. James says, when you're tempted, when you're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Don't say that. Why? Because that doesn't happen that way. God doesn't tempt you to sin. Don't get your theology messed up there. So what does he say? He says, for God cannot be tempted, you see, by evil. And so because God not, God is pure, infallible will never be tempted by evil guess what he does not tempt anyone else but here's the process but each one is tempted when by his own evil desires is dragged away and enticed clue (laughs) there's the problem that within all of us no matter how good we look on sunday there's some evil heart in all of us both hands right here Okay, I will admit. And if I do not put a guard, a margin between that evil heart and the thing that's going to lure me in and do something about my heart, which we'll talk about at the end today, I'm going to be drawn, it says, dragged away and enticed. See the word entice? 
Greek word delazeo. Here it is. It means to lure. It means to allure you. It means to entice you, to entrap you, and to, here's the key word, hook you. In the original word, in the etymology of that word, it was a fishing term. It was a term of bait that they would use in fishing. And that bait would allure, it would entrap, it would entice you, and finally, in our terms today, it would hook you. In those days, it would net you. But it was the idea that it would actually get you. And so there's the problem. The problem is that there's an enticement out there. And that's where we need to build the margin between us and that enticement. And what happens is, if we don't, we start to shrink the margins in our life. And so, if the idea is we've got to have enough margin there so that when I get close to that temptation, I have enough room to turn around. I, need, I have enough room to escape that. And so, I have to figure out, how does that happen? What's the process? What's the temptation for you? Some of us have some common ones. Some of us don't. Some of us have different temptations. But here it is. That temptation is there, so I have to stay away from it. But why do we do that? Why did Solomon do that? Why do you and I do it? Let's go back to the very first book in the Bible, Genesis. All right? Good place to start. Genesis. Everybody can find it. Okay? Again, back to your Bible. All right? Got to keep helping you folks. This is a little slower class than some classes. Okay? Bible. All right. We go back to chapter 1, Genesis, or back to the first book, Genesis. And let's jump into 13, and we start to come into the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Everybody's heard that story probably. You've been around church or nothing else. Even if you haven't been around church, you've heard the term. You've heard, seen movies about it. I mean, it was a very wicked town. Everybody knew that. Those areas were this, I mean, just engrossed in sinfulness. In the middle of this story is a guy named Lot. His uncle is Abraham. Abraham is a friend of God. Abraham has had some conversations with God. God appeared to him and said, I'm going to make you a father of a great nation. First thing we've got to do is get you out of here, so you need to move. He didn't tell him where. I'm going to play games with him, but you just got to trust me and move. I'm going to take you to a land that someday you will be blessed of. A nation will rise there. And so Abraham, go. Abraham, believing God, trusting God, starts off, and he thought, you know, I don't have any kids, I'll take my nephew with me. So he takes Lot with him, and on the middle of the journey, things are so good, they're being blessed, their possessions are so great, and their herds are multiplying, that before you know it, that the herds are starting to mix in, Lot's herd and, and, and Abraham's herd, and the herdsmen were starting to argue. And so we pick up the story in chapter 13 of this setting between Abraham and Lot. And I remind you, Lot wasn't a bad guy. He hung with his uncle. He had to have known truth and purity and righteousness, don't you think? Probably being mentored by his uncle, so he wasn't a bad guy by any means. Don't picture him as this sinful guy. No, he wasn't. Probably started off very good. Verse 8, so in the midst of the tension, Abraham says to Lot, he says, Let not, uh, he says, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are brothers. We're in the same family. He says this, it's not, uh, he says, is not the whole land before you? 
God's promised us everything you see. He said, so let's do this. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And so Lot, notice the next verse. He looks up and notice what he sees. And he saw the whole plain of Jordan was well watered. He looks around. I get to choose? Whew. Man, I'm not going there. Look, I'm going over there. I'm going to go to the well-watered place and now watch closely what goes on. Lot, like many of us, all of us who get lured into sin and the bait entraps us and hooks us, it starts with believing some things, and I call them this, myth number one. We believe that the grass is greener on the other side. He saw that, and he said, wow, look at that. That looks a lot better than this. The grass is greener over there. I'm going to go. So what does he do? He picks up his tent, and he starts to move it towards the plains of Jordan, heads east. He believes the grass is greener. What do you and I do when we start to shrink the margins? We see something. Oh, that looks good. That little secretary, she thinks I'm brilliant, tells me that every day, comes in my office, hangs around. I know she... (laughs) whole lot better than the old gal I got at home. My wife never treats me like she does. That looks good. That grass is greener. Single gal. High school gal. Young adult. Even some of you older single gals. Your hottie, you know, Romeo. You're around him. You say, oh, this is the guy. He looks so good. If I just will sleep with him, if I will have sex with him, I'll have him for life. I'll land this guy. And so the grass looks greener, and the margin shrinks, you see. Let's go on. He's heading down there. He gets to uh, verse 12. And Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot now lives among the cities of the plain. And now guess what? He pitches, he moves his tents, what? Near Sodom. Didn't go to Sodom. But he looked at it and said, man, you know, that's a lot better over there. I mean, they got Best Buy, they got other stuff. I, you know, somebody could run in and get out real quick and get stuff. I'm not going to live there because I know the city. I mean, it wasn't like he was ignorant of the city. He knew how the city was. It was totally perverted and sinful. I'm not going to live in that city. I've got a margin here. I'm not going to go there. But he decided, you know what, I'm going to move near. So he picks up his tent again, and he moves towards the cities near them. Not in it because he's believing Myth number two, it's not that really big a deal. It's not that big a deal, myth number two. I mean, it's just my sin. Nobody knows about my computer. It's just my sin. I mean, nobody knows I do that. Toad a little on the side, and you know, nobody knows. It's just between she and me. I mean, nobody's going to be hurt. It's just a few bucks out of the cash drawer. Nobody will miss it at work. It's not that big a deal. You see, that's the second myth as our margins start to shrink. 
It's just not that big a deal in, our, in my life. Just me. And before you know it, we are minimizing and justifying our sin. No big deal. Really? Keep reading chapter 19. Not just near Sodom now. He's moved in. He's in Sodom. Verse 1. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was what? Anybody reading? What was he doing? <laughs> Sitting in the gate. He has moved into town now. He's now a gatekeeper. He's, he, he is engulfed in the culture, and so not is he out here near. He's moved on over into the city, and he's living in the city, sitting in the gate, part of everything that's going on. <laughs> Looks better over there. Grass is greener. It's not that big a deal to live near it. Third, I can handle it. I can handle this. It's just a little dope. It's just a little drink. Just a little flirt. It's just one time. Just two of us. I can handle it. And our margin shrinks. Keep reading. Those two angels come. Gets towards the evening. If you read in verse 3, he invites them to the house. Come, eat with me. Fixes them dinner. Verse 4, after dinner's over, it says before they had gone to bed, it says the, that all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, they surrounded the house and they called and they said, where are the men that came to you tonight? Bring them out so that we can have sex with them. That's Sodom. That's what Sodom's all about. Total perversion. Two new guys in town. Bring them out. We want to have sex with them. Notice what Lot says. Keep reading. He says, but, but Lot went out and he tried to talk with them in the next verse, in verse 6. And then he goes out in verse 7. And he says, you can't do this. Don't do it. And notice in verse 8, he says, look. He says, look, let me bring out to you my two daughters. They've never slept with a man. Take my two daughters. Lot, what under you can handle it? It's no big deal. It's greener. Here, take my two daughters. Lot, are you in verse 30? Read on there. His two daughters come to him. He gets drunk. He has incest with them, and they get pregnant. And all along, he says, as Satan says to all of you, as he shrinks your margin, it's greener over there, is it? You know, it's no big deal. Just a couple of us, just me, just my little sin. And then you go on and say, you know, I can handle it, can you? Yeah, you can give away your daughters. You can get them pregnant and live in sin. Lot, have your wife turn to salt. Lot, you've lost it all. You've gone over the edge, man. You've crossed the limit. And just as his life was destroyed, some of you live at the limit. And you're going to cross over. 
and you will pay the consequences. What are they? Back to James, verse 15. James, verse 15, where we were a minute ago. You got the bait, enticed it, you took it, and then after he is dragged away and is enticed, it says, and after that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to what? To what? Death. Death. Your relationship with God relationship with your wife, your husband, your kids. Death to many times to your kids' future because it impacts them so hard. You see, there are consequences to every sin, period. But there's different consequences. Sin is sin, period. White lies wrong? All wrong. But there's greater consequences, unfortunately. White lie, not too big a deal. Gossipability, you might lose a friend, but, you know, you're not going to get put in jail. Greater sin, you could pay some heavy consequences. Moral sins, where you cross over a line in your morality, God says there's going to be some hard consequences coming. And you can pay them probably for a long time. So you say, well, Dennis, help us out, all right? Let's just take our last moments and let's focus five things on the sexual area of sin. Because it's a battle in our society. Let's don't, let's don't put our head in the sand. <laughs> it's TV, everything you see. All the little margins shrinking. Can you imagine 50 years ago when TV first came out, people seeing the shows we see today on a daily basis? Can you imagine? I mean, watching Wally and the Beaver and then watching what we see today? I mean, it's like, whoa, throwing that thing out the door but we've shrunk our margin so much it doesn't bother us. So what do we do? Number one, understand the severity of sin. Okay? I've got to do some quick scripture reading for you. You'll read them this week, but look at Ephesians 5.3. Here it is, 5.3. This is what Paul says about God's people. Pretty clear, Paul, how we should live because you just, from God, you give us the instruction. 5 3, this is what Paul says. He says, He says, put, he says, but among you, talking about God's people, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. That is a general term. We use the word pornea. It's the idea of anything that's perverted in the sexual area. You say, Dennis, well, what is that? You want me to be clear? I mean, you know. Here it is. God says sex occurs one place. You know where it is? Husband and wife, married, period. Period. Not before, not after, no one else. Period. That's what God's law is. Anything beyond that is sexual immorality. I don't you say, well, we love each other. God didn't give you a list of excuses. He said, this is it. So, he says, don't even let there be a hint. I don't even hear rumors about it. Or of any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. You read in Thessalonians, the verses there in chapter 4, he says the same thing. He says, avoid fornication, avoid sexual immorality, period. Avoid it. Now, 
So what do we do? We've got to realize this is serious stuff. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. It's page uh, 809. Here it is. He says this, and, and this is pretty important. We catch the feeling of this verse. 618. Paul says this, flee. Fugo, run. Get distance between, flee from sexual immorality. He doesn't say hint with it. He doesn't say play with it, smell it. He said just run from it. He says, because he says, all other sins committed are outside the body, but he who sins sexually against his own, sins against his own body. And he said, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God? You've been bought with a price. It's not your own. Therefore, honor God. I don't know all this verse means, but I do know this. He's saying this is a severe sin. It's going to affect you and your body and everything else. Take it seriously. Number two, protect your mind and heart. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Read it this week. Present your bodies unto God. How do you do it? Is a living sacrifice? Oh, how, help me with that, Paul. He says, all right, here's how you do it. Verse 2, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All of you know it, G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. That's what you become. Works in computers, works in your brain. And so we've got to protect our hearts. Proverbs 4.23, protect your heart. From out of it comes the wellsprings of life. Number four, purge the source of temptation. Purge it. Get rid of it. Jesus said it like this, Matthew 5, 27 through 30, those verses there. Let me give you the cliff notes on it. He says this, if you look upon a woman, you commit adultery with you. And he says, so this is so severe, this sexual area of your life. He says in the next verse, verse 29, he says this, if your eye offends you, do what? Pluck it out. Whoa. Jesus, dude, getting serious here. Yeah, because sin is serious. Don't take it lightly. Purge yourself from it. Get rid of it. Change jobs. Run, flee, at least get distance enough and a margin enough so that you can then start to determine how I can correct it. So that means number four, that in the sexual area of your life and my life, we need to predetermine limits. All right? You say, what do you mean? You, you say, these are the margins. This is going to keep me from getting tempted. At least I'm going to stay away from that. What is it? Let me give you a couple things you want to write down. Number one, if you're married, here it is. Conversations with the opposite sex? Nah. Zero. Nada. How many? Zero. What do you mean conversation? I'm talking about those intimate conversations when you start sharing about your marriages. No. Are you stupid? You're an idiot. You're setting yourself up because, well, she listens so well. Yeah. Sin is enticing. No conversations, no end of it. You talk about business, you talk about something that church is your passion, and that's it. Learned a long time ago. Took a long I don't have any friends that are girls. Got one. That's all I need. Your acquaintances, your sister in Christ, but you're not my friend. No, we're not going to talk outside of, hi, how you doing? How's your husband? You know, grab your kid, he's running crazy. Number two, no lunches with the opposite sex. Well, it's part of our business. Change business. Get a third person in there. Never. Always leave your door open if you have an office. All of our offices have two options. Leave them open or we have glass in our doors. And I said, we'll have glass. Everybody sees what's going on. And nobody lingers too long. No trips. 
You know, I've told you before, you can be walking down a rain. I mean, it can be pouring rain, and, and you're one of the finest ladies in the church, and I see you, I won't pick you up unless Drew's in the car. Because, see, Drew's not friendly either. So there'll be two of us. We'll pick you. If I have someone else, yes, but by yourself, I'll never take you in the car. I'll go get you somebody as quickly as I can. Just not going to happen, unless you're my wife or my daughters. Okay, no trips, and on it goes. How about if you are dating? Singles? I, you know, I, I hate to talk to young adults and middle-aged adults like I'm talking to high school students, but you act like it, so i got to talk to you about it. <laughs> All right? You don't have any brains anymore. You slipped into the culture. So here's some things for all of our students and every single here. All right? Here we go. Stop asking the wrong question. Wrong question is what? How far can we go? <laughs> That's the wrong question. The right question is, how pure can we be? How pure can we be? How can we flee? How can we avoid that the Scripture says it? Okay? That's the question you should be asking. Let me tell you two things. You want to get it right up straight, right up front. I mean, this is, I mean these two things will nail it every time for all you that are single and all you high school kids who are thinking you're big boys and girls now and you can date. You ready? Number one. First thing you do when someone asks you out, say, hey, I want to tell you right up front, I'm a Christ follower. Number one, I don't kiss. Don't make out. We don't swap tongues. We don't stop spit. We don't do any of that. Number two, no sex, no sleepovers. Those will come when you marry me. They'll cut down your date life, like boom, like that. <laughs> They're going to look at you like, are you weird? I am weird. I'm a Christ follower. And I have a margin in my life. My son last year married a couple, a couple of uh, kids down there at UT out of his church. As you know, he passed in their, in their spring season, their senior year, spring. They get married, and they kiss for the very first time when he pronounces a man and wife. It was a long one. <laughs> he said all the other students were hooping and hollering because they made a, uh, they made a determination that this is going to be our margin. We're going to honor God in our purity. You say, Dennis, that's extreme. That's true, it is. But tell me, how's it working out there? Is it working good? You like the divorce rates? You like the abortion rates? You like the heartbreaks? You like your kids? Because they wonder who's home tonight? Mom, Daddy, who's taking care of us now? No margins, that's why. All right, students, you've heard this, but here it is. got to do it, Really? When I was in youth work years ago, talking all over the nation, teaching on dating and all that, I came up with six things I told all students. I tell to every single now. You've got to get on the paper right now. Right? You've got to get this down. Six, Dennis's big six. I got them one night. An angel came into my room and handed me this piece of paper. Honest. Well, more or less. And came in. And here's the six things for your margin as a dating person. Number one, you ready? Don't unzip. Number two, don't unbutton. Number three, don't pull up. Number four, don't pull down. Number five, don't lay down. Number six, keep your tongue in your own mouth. You want to do it again? All right. Don't unzip, don't unbutton, don't pull up, don't pull down. Don't lay down, keep your tongue in your own mouth. I think that covers it. You follow that, you'll be okay. You say, no, 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 Dennis, you don't understand. We can go, you know, we can hug and kiss and swap tongues and all that. We can do that. And I'm saying, no, no, you know, we can't. No, I know what happens. You know, I got red blood still. 
The old fire starts picking up. Next thing you know, you know, you're going, your hands are moving in all places. And before you know it, guess what's happening? You're going at it. Next thing you know, it's pants on the ground, pants on the ground, looking like a fool with your pants on the ground, you know, your tongue in her mouth, hat turned sideways, looking like a fool with your pants on the ground. That's what happens. That's what's going to happen. I forgot to do my spin. Oh! Okay, can't do that. Number four. Purge your life with the promises of God. And there are promises. He says, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that there is a way out and an escape. If you're purging God's word in your life, putting it deep in your heart, and holding on to his promises, there's a way out. Simple, practical stuff. You've got to have a margin, not the sin to the temptation. And sometimes that needs accountability partner of the same sex, a godly person who holds you accountable, not listen to all the other stuff that's out there. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more information, feel free to visit our website at shermanbible.com or call anytime during our office hours, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 p.m. at 903-893-7795.